Amen. All right, well, we're there in uh, the book of Job. And of course, on Wednesday nights, we've been making our way through the book of Job. We're almost done. Uh, There are 42 chapters in this book, and we find ourselves in chapter 39. And of course, we've entered into a section of the book of Job, which is, I think, the best section of the book of Job, where God speaks. We began that last week. And uh, these two chapters, uh, there's four chapters where God speaks, chapter 37, 38, 39, uh, and 40, and, um, excuse me, chapters 38, 39, 40, and 41. Um, In these chapters, however, the the first two where God speaks, 38 and 39, uh, God gives this series of questions, and we started dealing with that last week. If you remember, we went through all those questions in chapter 38. Now, we went through the vast majority of the questions in chapter 38, but I, I ended a little early Uh, because we're going to actually back up a little bit and go back to chapter 38 and just finish up a few of the verses, just the last three verses of chapter 38, and then enter into chapter 39. Now, um, what we're dealing with tonight, well, let me just explain this. The the reason for that is because when God begins a series of questions in chapter 38, from verse 1 through verse 38, the questions were all pertaining to the explanation of creation. If you remember, God begins by talking about where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth, and he's uh, giving all these uh, thoughts and questions about creation. He talks about the weather and about uh, light traveling and about all sorts of things. Then in verse 39 of chapter 38, there's a shift in the questions. And from chapter 38, verse 39, through the entire uh chapter 39, the questions now pertain not to an explanation of creation, but to a stewardship of the creatures. And he he shifts gears. You'll notice if you look at verse 39, and he starts talking about the animals, and he starts asking questions about the animals. Now, let me just say this. Uh, We have 19 questions uh, in chapter 39, and we're carrying over three questions from chapter 38. So we're going to look at a total of 22 questions that God asked uh, in, in this section. Um, but those 22 questions, a lot of them are uh, repetitive or they're just, re- he, he's reinstate, restating the same question. So there's really about nine question categories that we're going to look at tonight, but we'll walk through the whole thing and, uh, and, and make application, of course. Look at verse 39 of chapter 38, if you would, uh, just the last three verses we didn't look at. And he says, wilt thou hunt the prey for the lion? So notice again that the questions now shift from creation to the creatures, from an explanation of creation to the stewardship of creatures. The idea is this. What he's asking is, who takes care of the animals, these animals that God created? So he's asking Job, wilt thou hunt the prey? The prey there is referring to the food for the lion, or fill the appetites of the young lions. He says in verse 40, "When when they couch in the dens and abide in the covert, to lie and wait. And this is a reference to the lions hiding in the thicket uh, in, 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 in hunt as they're hunting for prey. He says, do you take care of the lions? And what he's asking is this, who feeds the lions? Or who taught the lions to hunt? Or why is it that these animals instinctively have in them the ability to go and hunt and hide in the thicket, couch in the dens, abide in the covert, to lie in wait. He's saying, did you train these animals to do that, or is that something that I put into them? He says in verse 41, who provideth for the raven his food? 
When his young ones, notice, it says, cry unto God, they wander for lack of meat. He says, who takes care of the ravens? Who feeds the ravens? Who, uh, and what God's asking is, who feeds these wild animals? Or who oversees and, make, and makes sure that they get fed? Who put into their uh, uh, bodies this, uh, these instincts, into their minds these instincts to feed themselves. Now, just real quickly, I think it's interesting here that God refers to the ravens, and we're going to come back to it at the end of the sermon, but he says that they cry unto God. He says that these animals cry unto God. And throughout the Bible, we, we find expressions like this where it talks about the animals crying unto God. Uh, and just let me show you a verse real quickly. Go, go, go to Revelation, if you would, Revelation chapter 5. Obviously, I'm not preaching about the animals, and, and the Bible definitely says that uh, animals and human beings are, are not the same. Uh, human beings are above animals, and, and we shouldn't treat them like uh, if there's uh, anything special to them. Obviously, we should be uh, good to animals. We shouldn't be cruel to animals, but we should not elevate them to the uh, status of a human being. The Bible says that humans were created in the image of God and uh, animals were not. However, it's interesting that they are created by God and they're creatures, uh, which the Bible says here in Job that they cry unto God. In Revelation 5.13, I won't take the time to develop it, but there's three structures. If we, if we went through the Revelation chapter 5, we would see that the humans are praising God. Then we would see that the uh, angelic host is praising God. And then in verse 13, we see that the creatures, it says, and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the lambs forever and ever. So we see that these animals are praising God. In Job, we're told they're crying unto God. So it's just kind of an interesting thought. Go back to Job 39. We'll uh, get into our chapter for tonight. Look at verse 1. He continues with these questions. He says, Knowest thou the time when the wild goats of the rock bring forth? And the term bring forth there is a reference to give birth. He says, Do you know when these animals give birth? And what's interesting is that the answers to these questions are not... God asked questions of Job in the previous chapter that Job could not have had an answer to. Job actually could have had an answer to these questions if he was paying attention. Now, we don't blame him. I'm sure Job did not uh, care to see exactly when it is that the goats have their mating uh, seasons. But the point is this, that God's asking these questions. He says, who cares for these animals? Do you care for these animals? Do you take care of these animals? He says, knowest thou the time when the wild goats of the rock bring forth? Do you know when the wild goats mate and, and how long they're pregnant for and when they bring forth? Or canst thou mark when the hinds, the word hind there is referring to a female deer. He says, when the hinds do calve, uh, or in, in the reference there is give birth to unto a calf. So the question is this, do you know when the goats or the deers give birth? Do you know when these animals uh, uh, mate and when they uh, give birth? Is that something that you are concerned with, Job? And, and the point that God's making is this, and I, I, I want to be clear because we'll, we're going to walk through this chapter. I'm going to make application. We're going to look at some specific uh, things that I think are, are interesting. But the point that God's making is he's saying, Job, do you think about these things? Do you think about how the lion gets fed? Do you think about when the goats uh, mate? Do you think about when they give birth? Do you think about the ravens and who's feeding the ravens? And the point that God is making is, Job, you do not, but I do. 
God is saying, I'm concerned with not only creation, but even the creatures of creation. Look at verse 2, Job 39, verse 2. He says, Canst thou number the months that they fulfill, or knowest thou the time when they bring forth? They bow themselves, they bring forth their young ones, they cast out their sorrows, their young ones are in good liking, they grow up with corn, and they go forth and return not unto them. Again, he's saying, do you know how long a goat is pregnant for? Do you know how long a deer is pregnant for? And the point that God is making is this, and if you remember from last week, we looked at this. Sometimes we complain to God that God does not let us in on uh, some secrets, and we say, well, if God would just tell me what he was doing, then I could have the faith uh, to, to, to trust him. But remember, if God could show you or explain to you what he was doing, that would not require faith. The Bible says that faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And for us to complain and say, well, I'm just upset with God, or I'm not going to serve God, or I'm going to quit on God, because God will not tell me, or God does not let me in on, God does not give me the knowledge, God will not answer my questions. The point we learned from last week was, well, here's the thing, Job, there's lots of things you don't know. And now God is making this point. Not only are there lots of things you don't know because you could not know, he says there's lots of things you don't know because you don't want to know. Because you don't take the time to pay attention. Because you don't care to know. And he's obviously talking here to, uh, uh, to, to Job. And he's saying, do you know how long these goats are pregnant for? Now, here's a question I'm asking you, and don't answer out loud. Some of, you, some of you may know it. I'm asking you, do you know how long goats are pregnant for? Do you know how long deers are pregnant for? You could know. Some of you are taking your phone out and Googling right now. <laughs> goats are pregnant for 150 days. Deer are pregnant for 222 days. Here's the point. Before you start complaining to God about all the things he hasn't explained to you, there are some things that you could know that you don't know, not because you, it's been hidden from you, it's just because you haven't taken the time to be curious. It's interesting to me how many things in the Bible are there for you that you could know, that you don't know. Right. Not because God's hiding it from you, just because you've not taken the time to actually care enough to look into it. So before we start complaining to God about all the things He won't reveal to us, how about we worry about the things He has revealed to us? Amen. How about we worry about knowing the things that He's actually given us to know? We like to worry about all the things we don't know. We, like to, we, we want to figure out all the annual 70th week this and all the hidden things. You know the Bible says the secret things belong, belong unto the Lord our God? But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever. That we may do the work of His law. That we may do the things that are contained in the Word of God. So before you come to God and, 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 and start accusing Him of not being fair because He just won't tell you and you don't understand why He did this and why He allowed that and why He uh, let this happen in your life, remember that there's lots of things you don't know because you can't know because you're not God, but there's also lots of things you don't know because you don't care enough to look into it. You don't care enough to open up the Bible and read it. It says in verse 5, Who hath set out the wild ass free? Of course, it's a reference to a donkey. Who hath loosed the bonds of the wild ass? He's saying, he's saying who, who made the wild ass free? Who made it wild? Whose house I? I like how God answers the question. 
I have made the wilderness. God says, I'm the one that put it in the wilderness and the barren lands of his dwelling. He says, he, the wild ass, scorneth, the word scorn or scorneth means to look at with contempt, scorneth the multitude of the cities, neither regardeth he the crying of the driver. He, he says, look, the wild ass is not concerned, neither regardeth he, that means he's not concerned with the crying of the driver. The idea there is the cattle driver. He says, even if you, if you uh, put a, a, a cattle driver in charge of the ox, uh, of this wild ass, he says, he, he doesn't regard it. He's not concerned with it. He doesn't care. Verse 8, the range of the mountains, and of course that's what we refer to as a mountain range, is his pasture, and he searcheth after every green thing. So here's a question that God is asking Job. He says, can you control the wild donkey? Can you control the wild ass? He said, do you have control over that? Do you have control over him? And he's just making this point. There's lots of things you don't know because you just couldn't know. But there's also lots of things, Job, you don't know because you haven't cared enough to look into it. So before we start complaining to God about all the things that God has hidden from us, maybe we should be diligent to learn all the things that God has revealed to us and all the things that he's made available for us. And then God says this in verse 9, and this is where I want to spend some time tonight. He says, will the unicorn... Will the unicorn be willing to serve thee or abide by thy crib? God, in verse 9, brings up a unicorn. <laughs> and, of course, scoffers for years have mocked at the Bible for mentioning an animal called a unicorn. And they'll say, the Bible is silly for referencing a magical, mystical mythological animal, you know, and, and of course what they're envisioning, because people get their theology from junior high school girls' journals, is a picture of a uh, horse with a horn on its head and, you know, rainbows around it and glitter and all those things. And they say, you know, the Bible silly is bringing up this mythical animal. What's interesting is that when God speaks, you know, he asks all these questions about creation. And it wasn't interesting all the hidden things about creation that were put into the speech of God. All these things that today we know science has finally caught up to them. And then what God does in, in this chapter is he brings up this animal, this unicorn, which is something that we don't know a lot about. In the next chapter, I'd encourage you to be here next Wednesday because he brings up a dinosaur by the name of Behemoth. And we're going to look at that next week, and I'm going to prove to you that you've been lied to in your, uh, in, in your public school system, and men did walk with dinosaurs according to the Bible. They did not live millions and millions of years ago. And then in the next chapter, you say, oh, you're, you're kind of silly. Well, let's get even sillier. In the, in the chapter after that, chapter 41, you know what God brings up? A fire-breathing dragon. <laughs> he brings up a fire-breathing dragon by the name of Leviathan. We're going to talk about that. We're going to look at that. The point is this, he brings up these animals, and he, he brings up the unicorn, and people will scoff at the Bible and say, that's not real, that yeah, proves the Bible's fake, it brings up these mystical, mythological type beings. Here's the thing though, the Bible speaks of the unicorn as a real animal. In fact, here in Job chapter 30, it's listed amid a list of very real animals. 
I mean, in this chapter, the animals that are listed are the lion, the raven, the goat, the deer, the donkey. That's what we've looked at so far. The unicorn. After that, the peacock, the ostrich, the horse, the hawk, the eagle. God brings up this unicorn in the midst of this. And look, the Bible says a lot about unicorns. And I want to just focus in on this for tonight for a little bit and, and show you what the Bible teaches about uh, unicorns and give you my thoughts in regards to uh, unicorns. I want you to look at, uh, we're going to look at all the passages tonight that mention a unicorn in the Bible. And let me just show you from the Bible some characteristics of a unicorn, and then I'm going to give you my thoughts in regards to what this um, animal is. First of all, I want you to notice, we see here in Job 39, that the unicorn is wild. It is a wild animal that cannot be domesticated. Uh, in fact, that's the question that God's asking Job. Look at verse 9. He says, Will the unicorn be willing to serve thee? Or abide by thy crib. The word crib there is referring to the stall. Can you, can you put a unicorn in a stall? Can you, can you domesticate it and cause it to serve you? Can you make it plow the field for you? Can thou bind the unicorn? The word bind means to constrain or fasten. The unicorn with his bands in the furrow. The word furrow means trenches. Or will the Harrow the va- or will he harrow the valley after thee? The word harrow there means to plow. He says, can you, can you make the unicorn uh, like an ox and, and put it to work for you out in the field? Verse 11, will thou trust him because his strength is great? Or will thou leave thy labor to him? Wilt thou believe him that he will bring home thy seed and gather it into thy barn? He said, are you going to use the unicorn because the unicorn is a strong animal to, to go and bring in the harvest, to plow and go into the trenches and to bring home thy seed to bring the harvest in and gather it into thy barn. He's asking, can, the, can, can you domesticate the unicorn? Can you put it to work in the field? And the answer is no, you can't. And, and by the way, Job doesn't respond and say, ha, God, God, there's no such thing as a unicorn. You know, God's bringing up these animals, the lion, the raven, all these different animals, and he brings up the unicorn, and he's bringing up in the midst of these just normal animals that Existed. So, what do we see about the unicorn? Well, we see here in Job 39 that the unicorn is a it's wild. It can't be domesticated. Go to Psalm 22 if you would. You're there in Job. Just flip over to Psalm. Let's look at another passage that mentions these unicorns. Psalm 22. Look at verse 21. Psalm 22, verse 21. The Bible says, "Save me." Psalm 22, verse 1. And I want you to notice the connection here. Save me from the lion's mouth. Then it says, For thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorn. Now we saw in Job 39 that the unicorn is a wild animal that cannot be uh, domesticated. It cannot be brought in and, 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 and put to work. You, you may be able to put it in a cage and look at it, but you're not going to get it to do work for you. And then in Psalm 22, it's uh, it's referred to in the same context as a lion. Now, it's not saying that it is a lion, but it's interesting because he, he's, he's bring, he says, Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast hurt me from the horns of the unicorn. Here, the, the, the psalmist is, is, is talking about a wild animal that he's asking, he's illustrating, uh, not literally, but he's using this as an example of saying, God, you need to save me from this trouble. He said, and he's trying to describe the kind of trouble he's in. He said, it's like I'm in the lion's mouth, he said, or like, I'm on the horns of a unicorn. So he's kind of equating a unicorn with a lion, not saying that they're the same animal, but saying that they're the same type of animal. What does that mean? Well, a lion is a fierce, strong 
animal that you're not going to use as a house cat. It, it's, a, it's a wild animal. It's not an animal that we have domesticated and we, and I realize that people have, you know, whatever, circuses or whatever, but by and large, people don't just have, you know, a pet lion or a pet tiger. So what do we see about this unicorn? We see, first of all, that it is wild, like a lion is wild. Then I want you to notice, secondly, go back to Job 39 just real quickly. Something that's highlighted about the unicorn is not only that it's wild, it can't be domesticated, but something that's also highlighted about the unicorn is that it's strong. It's highlighted for its strength throughout the Bible. Look at Job 39, verse 11. Wilt thou trust him? Talking about trust him to do work for you because his strength is great. I'm saying, like, this would be a great animal to put to work because his strength is great. So the Bible tells us this is a very strong animal. And, and if it's telling us it's a strong animal, then it must be a strong animal. It must be an animal that's very strong, and, and, and obviously it's a wild animal. Go keep your place there in Job 39. Go, me, go with me to the book of Numbers, if you would. Numbers chapter 23. Towards the beginning of the Bible, you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Numbers 23. Numbers 23, and look at verse 22. Numbers 23 and verse 22. Notice what the Bible says. God brought them out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, this is referring to God's strength, how God brought them out of Egypt. And then he's giving an example. He says, he hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. So a unicorn must be a pretty strong animal if God's uh, using that as an analogy or an, an illustration to the strength that he showed in Egypt. Notice this is repeated again in uh, Numbers 24. Look at verse 8. Just flip over. Numbers 24, verse 8. God brought him forth out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of an unicorn. He shall lead up the nations as enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them through with his arrows. So again, look at how this unicorn is referred to. It's a strong animal. It shall eat up the nations as enemies and shall break their bones and pierce them. And of course, this is referring to God. God's using this as an illustration, but it kind of gives us an idea of what the Bible, what these people thought about unicorns. They thought these are wild animals that can't be domesticated, that can't be controlled, and these are strong animals. I mean, it's known for his strength. God even says uh, that he hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. And then we also see, you're there in Numbers, go to Deuteronomy 33. You're there in Numbers. So you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 33. Just flip one book over. Not only do we see that the unicorn is wild, not only do we see that the unicorn is strong, not only do we see that the... Uh, we also see... Uh, thirdly, that the unicorn is aggressive. Notice Deuteronomy 33, verse 17. His glory is like the firstlings of his bullock, and his horns are like the horns of unicorns. With them he shall push the people together. So again, this is not referring to uh, the unicorn here is being used as an analogy, but he's talking about that he's going to push the people like a unicorn pushes with its horn. So we see that the horn that the unicorn has is used as a weapon. It's used aggressively. This is an aggressive animal. Go to Psalm 29. Psalm 29. If you kept your place in Job, just right after Job, you have the book of Psalms, Psalm 29. Let me give you, show you a couple of other verses about Psalm 29. We haven't looked at all the verses yet. I'm going to show you a couple more, and then we, and then we have one last one to look at um, in Isaiah. But let me show you these couple verses and, and then kind of give you my thoughts. 
the unicorn, now let me just say this, okay? So far what I've showed you from the Bible is, is clear. Here's what we can take away from the Bible. The unicorn is a real animal. The unicorn was a wild animal. The unicorn was a strong animal. The unicorn was an aggressive animal. As, as far as I'm concerned, and, and, you know, that's pretty much the only things that we know for sure. I'm going to give you my thoughts, but I just want to be clear. I'm giving you my opinion uh, based off some of the things the Bible says. Uh, you know, everybody could have a different opinion or whatever, and, and nobody knows for sure. So you don't want to turn this into something that you'd argue with people about or whatever, because you've never seen a unicorn. I've never seen a unicorn. We don't know for sure. Here's what we do know for sure. It was wild. It was strong. It was aggressive. Let me give you another uh, characteristic, and this is just my opinion. The unicorn was probably a hoofed animal. Notice Psalm 29 and verse 6. The Bible says this, He maketh them also to skip like a calf, Lebanon and Syrian, like a young unicorn. So notice that the Bible is, uh, is, is using these two analogies together, synonymously, that the way that a young unicorn moves is similar to how a calf skips. He says, he maketh them also to skip like a calf, Lebanon and Syrian, like a young unicorn. So my thought, you know, and this is just my opinion, is that the unicorn is probably some sort of a hoofed animal, uh, like a calf, something uh, to that effect. Let me show you, uh, show you the, the, the second to last uh, reference uh, on the list here, Psalm 92, you're there in Psalm 29, and just flip over to Psalm 92. Psalm 92 doesn't really give us any details that we can pull anything out of. I just want to show you all the references. Psalm 92, verse 10, But my horn shalt thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn. It shall be anointed with fresh oil. So, obviously, as the name implies, it has a horn. You know, that's really all that we can derived from that verse. But I just want to show you all the passages. There's one more that I want to show you in Isaiah. In fact, if you can, go to the book of Isaiah. Uh, you got Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Isaiah 34, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. While you turn there, let me just give you my, my thoughts on the unicorn. And again, this is just my opinion. The unicorn is obviously probably an extinct one-horned animal, you know, and people act like, like, oh, it's so ridiculous that the Bible would talk about an animal with one horn. There's animals with horns that are alive right now. There's deer and antelope and rhinoceros and all sorts of animals that exist right now with horns. So why would it be weird? Why would it be just completely absurd that there would have been an animal that existed one day that had a horn? In fact, they've even found deer, and I'm not saying that this is a unicorn, but they have found deer in parts of our world now, in modern times, that have one horn sticking out of the center of its head. So the fact that the Bible refers to a, an animal with one horn and it calls it a unicorn is not that absurd and it's not, definitely not an argument to throw the entire Bible away as some sort of a mystical uh, uh, you know, book, some magical book. Let me tell you what's magical, evolution. The, the, the theory of evolution, the fact that a rock turned into a, a, a living creature, and that living creature turned into a fish, and that fish turned into, I don't know, a gecko, I, I don't know, into something that turned into a monkey, uh, that turned into a human, you know, that's science, but the Bible refers to an animal with a horn, and it's ridiculous. That makes no sense. 
There's all sorts of horned animals that exist now. So you say, well, what do you think the unicorn is? If I had to guess, it would be an animal with one horn that, uh, that is extinct. And, 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 and my th- you know, people will say, like, it's a rhinoceros and whatever, and I don't have a problem with, with, those, um, with, with those ideas. But if I had to guess, I would say that it's, it's an animal in, in what we would refer to as the deer family. And if you think about it, because because here's the thing, obviously today, you know, mythology has brought down to us this idea that a unicorn is a horse, and maybe it was, you know, we don't know. Um, But if you think about it, a deer or an antelope or a moose resemble a horse. They they look pretty much like a horse. They have hooves, they have long necks, they have the the long uh, mouth. So, and the fact that the Bible says that it that the the young unicorn moves, um, that God makes it to skip like a calf. If I had to guess, I would say that it's some sort of uh, uh, an extinct animal from the deer family that, that had a horn, that had just one horn, but it was a very strong and powerful uh, being. Now, let me just say this. You know, oftentimes people, we, we don't realize because we, you know, we, we, we live in, in a city and, and all those things, we don't realize how massive these, the animals that are just alive today can be. Um, and, and, you know, I brought this up uh, to, I was talking about this with Brother Montel, and he actually brought up the, the moose to me. So let me, let me just give you some, you know, some ideas of the moose. I'm here to tell you that the unicorn is a moose. No, I'm just kidding. You know, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it is. But um, in, an adult moose today, I'm talking about the, 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 the moose that are alive right now, will grow to be seven to eight feet tall at the shoulders. I mean, that's pretty tall. That's bigger than, than everybody here. When they look upright, they could be as tall as 10 feet if you factor in the head and the horns. And, and, and the moose is from the deer family. And if you look at the moose, it kind of looks, like looks like a horse. And it has horns. You know, it has two of them. But what if there was like a moose-type animal that had one horn? Would that just be completely absurd and ridiculous? I mean, it can be seven to eight feet tall. Uh, the average moose is a, a, weighs 1,000 pounds. They can weigh up to 1,600 pounds. 1,000 pounds, is, uh, we're told, is, is what a rhinoceros weighs. You know, so these are massive, strong uh, animals. And all I'm saying is this. And, and, and again, this is just my theory, and you can do whatever you want with it. I'm just having a little fun here. This is not doctrine, and you don't have to, you know, you're in a guilt-free zone right now, right? So just enjoy it. But um, here are my thoughts. Since the next two chapters, God is going to bring up dinosaurs. He's going to bring up a land dinosaur by the name of Behemoth, and he's going to bring up a water dinosaur by the name of Leviathan. And when you think about, you know, and people say, like, well, why is this unicorn not around today? Well, there's lots of animals that have been extinct. And when you think of extinct animals, you know, if you were to just think right off the top of your head, animals that are extinct, here are the type of animals that people would, cons- would, would, would think of. A dodo bird, a saber-toothed tiger, a woolly mammoth, a Tasmanian tiger, right? Here's what's interesting is we, we usually think of those, I don't like this term, the prehistoric, but when you think of like a saber-toothed tiger, a woolly mammoth, you think of these prehistoric, quote-unquote, and again, I'm not, I don't like that terminology. I'm just using the world's terminology. And when you think of a saber-toothed tiger, I mean, what was it? It was just a really large tiger. 
You think of a woolly mammoth who's just a really large elephant, right? So could it be that there was just like a moose or moose-type animal that was just like the woolly mammoth version of the moose or like the saber-toothed tiger version of the moose where it's just this mat Because moose right now are huge, you know? And I'm, just, and I'm not saying it's a moose. I'm just saying, could it be a, a, an animal from the deer family that's large, that's strong, that had one horn, and that went extinct like the Tasmanian tiger, like the woolly mammoth, like the saber-toothed tiger, like the dodo bird? And the, the point that I'm saying is that I don't know. I mean, we, we might get to heaven and find out that the unicorn was just a white horse with a, with a corn, uh, with, a, with a horn and with wings and, and, and a rainbow followed it. And, you know, and, and, and all the seventh grade girls were right, you know. I mean, we, we, don't, we don't know. But the, the point is this. The fact that there's just a massive, wild, strong animal that had a horn is not just ridiculous. And, and that it went extinct is not con- uh, completely Absurd. So what the Bible teaches us is that the unicorn is wild, it's strong, it's aggressive. In my opinion, it's probably a hoofed mammal, which is why it went down in mythology as, as a horse. Because people don't generally ride a moose, they ride horses, so they probably turned it into a horse through uh, history. And, and, and I will just say this, Isaiah 34, the unicorn is making a comeback. In the end times and during the millennial reign, the unicorn is going to come back. So we'll all be able to see one, maybe ride one, feed one, pet one. I don't have the time to develop Isaiah 34. If you go back and look at the chapter, though, it's definitely about end times. And it's about the, the, the second coming of Christ. It's about uh, battles in the end times. In verse 7, it says this, And the unicorns shall come down with them. And the bullock with the bulls, and their land shall be soaked with blood, and their dust made fat with fatness. So the Bible says the unicorns are making a comeback, whatever it is, whatever it was. And some people really think it's a rhinoceros or whatever. I don't have a problem with any of that. Nobody knows for sure. But just some interesting things. But don't let somebody tell you the Bible's full of of fables because it brings up an animal called the unicorn. It's not absurd that there's an animal with a horn that, that went extinct. Um, that, that's not a ridiculous notion as the scoffers. It's more ridiculous to think that a human, that, a, that an, an ape gave birth to a human being. Uh, so, you know, anyway, that's what the Bible teaches about those things, and it's kind of interesting. Go back to Job 39. Look at verse 13. And then notice, God just brings up the, you know, I stopped to talk about the unicorn because it's interesting to us. But God doesn't do that. He doesn't just like bring up the unicorn and then go into all this detail with Job about it. He just brings it up in this list of other animals. And notice he he just continues on his list, verse 13. Gavest thou the goodly wings unto the peacock? He said, did you give the birds their wings? Did you give the peacock its wings? Then he says this in verse 13. Or wings and feathers unto the ostrich? And again, the point that he's making is, did you give the birds their wings? Did you figure out the flying system of a bird, the fact that their uh, bones are hollow so that they weigh less, and the fact that they're built to be aerodynamic, the fact that the feathers are able to keep them in air. Did you bring, did you make all that up? Did you make sure that they were taken care of? This is what God is asking Job. He says, Gave us thou the goodly wings unto the peacock, or wings unto the feathers, uh, uh, or wings and feathers unto the ostrich? Now then God brings up this ostrich, and the interesting thing is that God does go into detail about the ostrich. You know, it's funny because we're like, God, can you go into a little detail about the unicorn? 
And he's like, no, but let me tell you about the ostrich. So, you know, I don't know. But, but he gives us some lessons on parenting from the ostrich. Notice he brings up the ostrich in verse 13. Then he begins to describe the ostrich. Look at verse 14. And what God says about the ostrich is not good. He says, which leaveth her eggs in the earth. He says the ostrich is a mother, specifically a mother, but honestly this could be applied to both mom and dad. It is an animal that leaves her eggs unattended, which leaveth her eggs in the earth and warmeth them in the dust. Now she's trying to do a good thing. She's trying to warm them. She puts them in the dust, puts them in the dirt to warm them. But what she doesn't realize is that because she's not putting them up in a nest somewhere high protected, she's leaving them unattended, which leaveth her eggs in the earth. And what God is doing is he's bringing up this ostrich as an example of a terrible mother. Uh, And again, this could be applied to both parents, uh, terrible parents. And he's saying, look, you don't want to be a parent like an ostrich. You say, well, what's wrong with the ostrich's parenting skills? Well, number one, it leaves its eggs unattended. Go to Proverbs 29. Look at verse 15. Proverbs 29. You're there in Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Proverbs 29. Look at verse 15. Notice what the Bible says about this. Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Look, the Bible teaches that we should not leave our children unattended. Now, the obvious, the obvious uh, uh, application here is the parenting that we see today where people just ship off their kids to a daycare, ship off their kids to some public school system or private school system where they just leave their children in the hands of somebody else and they go off on their merry way and just go hang out at the house or go work or whatever it is they they do and they're leaving their children unattended. Hey, that is a bad way to parent your children, the Bible says. You should, and they said, well, we're doing a good thing. We're having them cared for. We're having them educated. Yeah, well, she's leaving them, uh, she's having them be warmed in the dust as well, but she's leaving her eggs in the earth. She's leaving them unattended, and a child left to himself, bringing his mother to shame. But let me just make this application as well. You know, you say, well, I'm a, I'm a stay-at-home mom, or uh, I, I, we homeschool our children, and we don't have that problem. But let me tell you something. There's a whole lot of homeschool moms that are leaving their children unattended as well. Just sitting there, just because you're physically in the room with them does not mean that you're attending to them. If you're just watching TV, on the internet, on your phone, obviously you you should be able to be on your phone and, and check your email and all those things. But look, as parents, we need to give attention to our children. And of course, especially mothers, since they're the ones that are uh, staying home and homeschooling and all those things, we should not leave our children unattended. And look, I can tell you right now, the children that are the worst behaved are the ones that are ignored the most. Because that's what he says. I don't like you saying that. My kid's bad because he was born that way. No, he's bad. Yes, he's a sinner. Yes, she's a sinner. But you know what? The rod and the reproof give wisdom. You show me an undisciplined, rebellious, uh, not well-behaved child, I'll tell you the reason. It's not because they're a sinner. Bad parents always want to say, oh, my kids are just worse than other kids. All kids are bad. All kids are sinners. Look, just be real with yourself. You know why your kids are bad? Because you don't spank them. Because it's a child left to themselves. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. You know what that means? They embarrass you. They make you ashamed. So don't be like the ostrich. 
which leaveth her eggs unattended. So what's the problem with leaving my eggs unattended? Well, go back to Job 39, look at verse 15. What's the problem with leaving them unattended? Here's the problem, verse 15. In verse 14 it says, which leaveth her eggs in the earth and warmeth them in the dust and forgetteth that the foot may crush them or that the wild beast may break them. She puts them in the dust to warm and, and, and leaves and leaves them unattended, but she doesn't realize or forgets about the fact that somebody walking by may crush them just by walking. The foot may crush them or the wild beast may break them. You say, what's the problem with leaving your children unattended? Here's the problem with leaving your children unattended. That she not only leaves her children, the ostrich not only leaves her eggs unattended, she forgets that her eggs are vulnerable. Go to Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18. And look, I, I'm, I'm not for children being left unattended anywhere. Obviously, as your children get older, then you start giving them independence and all this thing. I'm talking about small children. This is one of the reasons why at Verity Baptist Church, we're what, what we refer to as a family-integrated church. We do not separate your children and take your children away from you and say, well, let's put your baby in some nursery and let's put your young children in, in, in some Sunday school class or children's church. You say, why? Because God gave you those children to protect. Because you should not leave those children unattended because they're vulnerable. And if you leave them and forget that the foot may crush them or that the wild beast may break them, hey, do you realize that there's people out there that want to hurt your children? Matthew 18, verse 6. Notice what the Bible says. Jesus says, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones? The word offend there is referring to someone that's becoming a stumbling block for children. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believeth in me? Notice how serious Jesus takes this. He says, It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. That's how God feels about people who offend their little ones who offend and hurt little children. But you know what, Mom, and you know what, Dad? It's your job to protect your kids. So we see that this ostrich, she leaves her eggs unattended. She forgets that her eggs are vulnerable and forgetteth that the foot may crush them or that the wild beast may uh, break them. Go back to Job 39, look at verse 16. Then it says this, she's hardened against her eggs. Look at verse 16. She is hardened against her young ones as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain without fear because God hath deprived her of wisdom, neither hath he imparted to her understanding. What time she lifted up herself on high, she scorneth the horse and his rider. Go to Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4, last book in the New Testament, uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, it should be fairly easy to find. Malachi chapter 4. The Bible says that she's hardened against her children. I'm surprised how many parents are hardened against their children today. If you ask a parent, are you hardened against your children? They would say, of course not, I love my children. But then you watch them make decisions that show that their children are not the priority. Their career is the priority. Their social life is the priority. When they're single, their dating life is the priority. All their, whatever they're doing, whatever bring, makes them happy, becomes the priority. This ought not to be so. You know, people don't like to hear this, but let me just explain something to you. When God gave you children, your life just became not about you. For the next 18, 20, however many years, your life is not about you. You're not, you say, why would God give us children? Often, you know, I think the best reason why God gives us children is to just teach you to grow up and to realize that you're, you're a selfish brat. 
Because the, these, these young people, these single people, they get married and, and you know, they're dating and it's married and it's all about them and everything they want to do and all the dates they want to go and all these fun things. And I'm not against you, but then you have a baby and you know who could care less about your date? That baby. You know who could care less about your sleeping? That baby. You know who doesn't care that you got to get up the next day and go to work? That baby. And, and then God says, by the way, I'm the heavenly father. This is the, this is the analogy I chose you're that baby. <laughs> like the baby is kind of a selfish brat. And God is like, yeah, you're, are you getting the point? <laughs> Your job is now to mature and grow and realize that the decisions you make, the choices you make, the places you go, the things you choose to bring into your home, the things you choose to do, the things you choose to look at, the, 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 the food and the drinks and the things you bring into your home, the, the magazines, all of that can affect your children. And you need to stop being selfish and start making decisions based on your children. You say, well, don't I get to be happy? No, not till they're married and out of the house, you don't get to be happy. In fact, the Bible says that you get to be blessed, and when you're blessed, you're happy. But I'm not sure where we got this idea that God just wants you to be happy. Where does God wants you to follow him, to love him, and to follow his word. And if you do that, you'll be blessed, you'll be satisfied, and you'll be happy. But this idea that you're just supposed to follow your dreams like some unicorn is <laughs> not in the Bible. It's a moose, okay? It's a moose. And it's not you. As parents, our, heart, our, our, our hearts need to be turned back to our children. Malachi chapter 4. Look at verse 6. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers. And by the way, here the reference is to fathers, not mothers. But again, it can be applied to both. Shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. We talk a lot about, and I think it's a valid thing to talk about, my wife and I talk a lot about, I talk about it in my preaching, about keeping the hearts of our children. What does that mean? It means that we keep their love and their respect so that we can influence them, so that we can be an influence to them. But notice that the Bible says here, you you say, "Uh, I want want the heart of my children. I feel like I've lost the heart of my children. Well, step one, turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers. Maybe you lost your child's heart because a long time ago, your child figured out that they lost your heart. That you made everything else the priority. That you made your fun and your plans and your, whatever you're doing. The Bible says that we as parents must turn our hearts to our children and then the hearts of our children can be turned to their fathers. So don't be like this ostrich, which the Bible says she's hardened against her young ones. As though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain without fear. God says, you know why the ostrich is like that? Go back to Job 39, verse 17. It says the ostrich is like that because God hath deprived her of wisdom. Neither hath he imparted to her understanding. He says that the, the ostrich is like that because the ostrich is a dumb animal. But let us not, as, as, as human parents made in the image of God, to treat our children in that way. Here's what the Bible could say about the modern mother, the modern father. And again, here it's referring to mothers, but all, sort, all throughout the Bible, references made to fathers and their role as, as parents. Here's what the Bible could say about a, a modern ostrich mom. Job 3, 9, 14, it could say this, which leaveth her not eggs in the earth, but her children in a daycare or in a public school system or in a private school system. 
and forgetteth, not that the foot may crush them, but that the temptations and influences of the world may crush them. Or you could also say, and forgetteth not that the wild beasts may break, uh, break them, but that the reprobate predator beasts may break and defile them. You could say it's like she is hardened against her young ones as though they were not hers. You could say she goes to work, but her labor is in vain without fear. The point is this. God has given you a valuable gift called your children. And they have to be the priority. Now, they're not the priority. Let me just make this clear. They're not the priority by putting your children before God. Let me say something. You start skipping church because of your kid's little league or whatever, you're going to destroy that child. Say, what's the best thing that you could do for for a child? Be right with God and show them that God is the priority. And and, and your children are not to become before, before your relationship with your spouse. The best thing that a father could do for his children is to love his mother, to love their mother. Well, he should love his mother too, but love their mother. Protect their mother. Be kind to their mother. Do right by their mother. The best thing that a mother could do for her children is to honor her husband, to reverence her husband, to submit to her husband. So we understand that there's a priority structure, but let me tell you something. We need to make a priority of our children and make sure that they grow up right and do right and love the Lord. Job 39, look at verse 19. God continues on. He talks about this ostrich for a while. Then he says, Has thou given the horse strength? Or has thou clothed his neck with thunder? And he's asking, the question is, did you give the horse his strength? He says in verse 20, Canst thou make him afraid as a grasshopper? Referring to the horse. The glory of his nostrils is terrible. He paweth in the valley. He rejoices in the strength. He goeth on to meet the armed men. He mocketh at fear and is not affright, and neither turned he back from the sword. The quiver rattled against him, and glittering spear and the shield. He swalloweth the ground with fierceness and rage. Neither believeth he that it is the sound of the trumpet. He saith amongst the trumpets, Ha, ha, he smelleth the battle afar off, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. And this is, of course, uh, referring to the fact that in, in verse 19, he talked about the horse's strength. Did you give the horse his strength? Then he talked about the fact that the horse is not afraid. This is why horses have been used to go into battle. He refers to a horse being taken into battle, and he says to Job, can you make the horse afraid? Then he says in verse 26, doth the hawk fly by wisdom? Excuse me, doth the hawk fly by thy wisdom and stretch her wings towards the south? Doth the eagle mount up at thy commandment and make her nest on high? She dwelleth and abideth on the rock, Upon the crag of the rock, and that word crag there is referring to a steep or rugged cliff, and the strong place, from thence she seeketh the prey, and her eyes behold afar off. Notice how God knew that eagles had good eyesight. Verse 30, her young ones also suck up blood. Where the slain are, there is she. He's asking Job, did you come up with the ingenuity that designed the bird with the capability to fly? Did the hawk fly by thy wisdom? Does the eagle mount up at thy command? He, he brings up the birds and he says, did, did you cause the bird to fly? And here's what he's saying. And, and, and notice where we started tonight. If you go back just real quickly to Job 38, verse 4. He brought up the birds again. In verse 4, he says, Who provideth for the raven his food? He said, Who takes care of the ravens? Who makes sure the ravens are fed? Who taught the hawk to fly? Who, who taught the eagle to mount up and to, and to abide on the rugged cliffs? 
Who provided for the raven his food when his young ones cry unto God? They wander for lack of meat. It's interesting because the New Testament actually brings up the fact that it is God who provides for the ravens. Go back with me just real quickly, if you would, to the book of Luke in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. We'll finish up here real quickly. We're going to look at a passage in Luke and a passage in Matthew. Luke chapter 12, verse 24, because he asked Job, Job 38, 4, who provided for the raven his food? Who feeds the ravens? Then in Luke 12 and verse 24, Jesus says, consider the ravens. And, and, and Jesus is talking about people who are worried about whether God is concerned with them. And, and, and Jesus says, he takes a play out of Job, he says, consider the ravens. For they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouses nor barns, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? Here's what he's saying. Remember, what brought all this about, the questioning that God is getting at, the reason he's bringing up these questions, because Job, look, Job never cursed God and never charged God foolishly. Job passed the test. He never gave up and quit on God, but he did question God, and he did accuse God of being unjust and unfair, because God would not answer his questions, and God is making the point, Job, there's lots of questions you don't have the answer to, because you don't know, and there's lots of questions you don't have the answer to, because you don't care to know, but let me explain something to you, Job, you've never thought about the fact that the lion needs to eat, you never thought about the fact that the raven needs to be fed, you never thought about the fact that the goats need to be cared Therefore, when they give birth in the deer, you don't know anything about the unicorn, Job. You don't understand these things, but let me tell you something. I'm concerned with all of it, God says. I know when the goats mate. I know when the birds are fed. I know when the lion goes hunting. I know all that about these creatures. And then Jesus said, consider the ravens. If God cares about the birds, he says, how much more are you better than the fowl? God cares about the animal. He's the point that God's making Job. Because remember, the argument that's been made against God is that God just doesn't care. Remember Job said, I don't know where God is. I go forward, he's not there. I look uh, to the sides, he's not there. I look behind me, he's not there. I can't hear him, I can't see him. Does God even care? And, Job, and God is telling, Job, if I care for the ravens, I care about you. If I take care of these animals, go to Matthew chapter 10 just real quickly. Look at verse 29. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? Remember the widow's mite? Remember the widow who, put, who threw the mite? The Bible tells us that a mite was two farthings. And the Bible uses that story as the fact that she threw nothing. It was, ver it was a, ve a very small amount. And here it's being used as an analogy that these birds are very cheap. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. Here's what he's saying. Aren't sparrows, aren't they so cheap that you can actually buy two of them for a farthing? They're so cheap. And the farthing is what the widow's mite was that she threw in, that God used, that Jesus used in his illustration of the fact that she threw virtually nothing into the offering. He says, sparrows are pretty cheap. They're, they're, they, they don't have 
financial value. You can get two. You, 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 it's a two-for-one deal. You, you get two of them for a farthing. And he says, yet when one of them falls to the earth and dies, your heavenly Father knows it and is aware of it. He, he, he takes the time to care about it. He says, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Then he says, fear ye not. Therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Here's the application that God's making to Job. If God cares about the animals, then God cares about you. God, God didn't, he didn't ask your questions, and he's never going to answer the questions. Not in the book of Job, at least. Maybe in heaven he answered the questions for Job. I don't know. But he never answers the questions for Job. But here's the point that he's making. He says, Job, you don't know how I care for the animals, but I take the time to care for the animals. I, I know what's going on with the animals. And if I know when a sparrow falls to the ground, then don't kid yourself that I'm not aware of what's going on in your life. And I'm not aware of the situation you find yourself in. Because ye are of more value than many sparrows. And of course, this is where we get the words. This is the inspiration for that song we like to sing. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come, right? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, A constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. If God knows when a sparrow falls to the earth dead, then even when you don't have all the answers, even when you don't understand, even when you're not sure, like Job could say, why he would take my children, why he would take my health, why he would take my finances, why he would allow my wife to, to turn on me, why he would allow these friends to come and, and, and falsely accuse me. I don't understand why God would do these things. But God says, I care for the raven, and I care for you. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this chapter in the Bible where you teach us that there are some things that we do not know because we cannot know. There are some things that we do not know because we do not care to know. It helps us to remember that if you care for the sparrow, if you care for the raven, if you care for the lion and the unicorn and the goat, then you care for us. Help us to trust you and believe you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.